What's the future of entertainment and technology in the car? The vehicle really is now a digital mobility device. It's another device in their arsenal of devices that they use to inform themselves and entertain themselves inside of the vehicle. That's Brandy Goolsby, Director of Strategic Alliances and Solution Development at Wind River. And this is Talking the Drive, where the people who create what's next in the car reimagine what's possible. I'm John McLeod, Rivet 360 founder, and joining Brandy and me is Roger Lankdo, Director of Automotive Connected Mobility for Tech Insights. Today, we'll explore how EV, electric vehicles, and AV, autonomous driving, are accelerating the needs for connectivity and software in the car. Brandy, thank you for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. This is great. And Roger, thanks for being on the podcast again, as well as helping make Talking the Drive better. I've enjoyed your collaboration and the rich insights you bring. Always a pleasure. Hope we can keep it going. (laughs) I do too, Roger. Brandy, Wind River is on the cutting edge of the software-defined car, particularly around edge computing. Now, those are terms that I had to look up, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about what does it really mean to you and to the car companies, and maybe more importantly, how will this make driving better and safer? Excellent question. So as you said, most people aren't familiar with Wind River, but if we're not there, you will definitely feel our absence. And Wind River has a 40-year history of powering safety-critical systems that can't fail across industries. And when you think about can't fail, you're thinking systems like autonomous systems, droids, delivery systems, avionics, airplanes. We understand the challenge and complexity associated with the software-defined vehicle, and we contribute and make an impact in this domain very well. We have the proven leadership and competency to build the software for this next-gen set of vehicles from a safe, secure, reliable, and certified safety-critical perspective. Wind River brings this expertise in mission-critical systems to the automotive industry, and we enable them to build this next generation of software-defined vehicles. Tell us a little more about the processes you go through and and just the rigor of creating these kind of safe, almost perfect solutions. Our process in our structure, it's pretty well defined and there's certain processes that we adhere to specific to the different verticals that we serve, right? And so when you think about the automotive industry space, there's A-SPICE, there's CMMI, there's different process standards that we need to adhere to for both safety, functional safety, for security, for just overall product development and making sure we're adhering to this this structured format of how to get a product ready for deployment. And so with that being said, our internal processes are pretty rigorous, as you've highlighted, John, and we go through a relentless set of integration tested, unit tested, functional testing to ensure the accuracy and the completeness of the solutions that we deploy with our customers. Wind River was recently acquired by Aptiv, and how does that improve your ability to deliver solutions? Aptiv has been an amazing parent as we've 
made this transition into our integration processes in terms of really keeping Wind River, Wind River. Like they've been adamant and pretty consistent in their messaging that they're not trying to turn Wind River into something else, but they want to make us better and and enhance our capabilities and augment those capabilities with what their portfolio offering is, right? As we think about connected services and the cloud and where this whole activity is going with the digital preparation that the industry is undergoing right now through the disruption. And so the acquisition in and of itself, I think complements both firms very nicely in terms of getting us prepared and ready to support our customers at a level where we can create compelling solutions that help harness, I would say, that value for the customer in this whole connected space. And then as you think about the data-centric world that we are in and that will continue to be part of how solutions come together and create value, not only for the business customer, but also for the end user, the customer. So Roger, so autonomous driving was gaining a lot of momentum and seems to have hit a few uh, speed bumps recently. What do you think needs to happen to get it back on track? I think there needs to be a reconsideration of the applications that justify this pursuit, you know, this expenditure of hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. And uh, you're right, it has entered this sort of, you know, Sargasso Sea of of, uh, venture capital support. It just seems to have suddenly dried up. And I am hearing stories, the recent M-City event where various universities were competing, the students who were working on those solutions and demonstrations there were complaining that the jobs weren't there, which is fundamentally kind of terrifying because I, I think we want to continue to pursue this. But when we look at uh, the robo-taxi proposition, is that really solving a problem or is it just you know creating another discounted luxury service like Uber, which basically was offering you a discounted taxi? If we are going to use the technology to fulfill transportation deserts in cities, for example, then, okay, that would make sense. And that would justify, you know, occasional impeding of emergency response vehicles when these vehicles, you know, lose their way. If the goal is to enhance transportation and bring transportation to disadvantaged populations that don't have it or don't have access to it, well, then that's a laudable objective and a laudable goal. That hasn't really happened yet. Also, I've encountered personally, talking with people I respect in the industry, very severe skepticism and pushback against operators like Aurora and Enride and Locomation that are trying to establish, you know, hub to hub commercial autonomous vehicle operation. To me, that makes perfect sense. Driver shortages, we need to move goods in the economy. Most of the time it's on defined roadways, you know, operating at speed very well calibrated and calculated to function in a safe manner and remotely monitored in the case of Enride or with a safety driver, uh, I guess, uh, otherwise. But I'm hearing massive pushback from people who I would normally consider to be evangelists for the sector. So there needs to be a reconsideration. Maybe there needs to be government participation, although we all know Ronald Reagan's, you know, those terrifying words, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. (laughs) Uh, Maybe the government can't always be helpful in these circumstances, but we clearly need some direction because we seem to have momentarily 
lost our way, even as we are continuing to enhance ADAS features, which is obviously not autonomous operation, but it is beginning to get us to semi-autonomous. I like the way you frame that in that there was a lot of effort, I think, to make it happen because we thought we could create autonomous driving vehicles. The cost of doing it versus the benefits now are just being figured out. And I think that's part of the reason why we've hit, hit the slowdown. Brandy, what is Wind River doing in autonomous driving? And, and where do you see the challenges from your perspective? So Wind River has been in automotive actually for, for quite some time since I would say late 1990s, right, where we had been doing work around some of the tooling. So you may be familiar with like DAB compilers. So we supplied that to, to the industry quite a bit. And you will still find a lot of people who use our DAB compilers today. But for the most part, there was a period of time where we were doing quite a bit of work on what I would call professional services engagements around different domain areas within the vehicle. One of our recent, I'd say, announcements that we did was on the Next Generation Odyssey, which actually that was publicly announced in 2017, where we did a whole new in-vehicle infotainment system on behalf of Honda. And that got rolled out on the Honda Odyssey at first, and then um, more programs rolled out. So we did quite a bit of work in that space. And as we did that, we also simultaneously was rolling out, putting our VX Works, our, our real-time operating system into different applications as well. And we did a partnership with TT Tech, which was also publicly announced around the Audi Level 3 autonomous vehicle. And that too was um, around the, the 2017 timeframe. And as the industry continued to, I would say, move forward in, in terms of the connectivity profile and looking at various OTA offerings. We also had our own OTA offering, which was picked up and publicly announced by Ford Motor Company. And they rolled that out on the 2021 model year F-150. So we've had significant inroads in the automotive space around our technologies, especially on the embedded side. And as uh, we continue to progress forward and become I would say a partner and enabler for the industry as we move from autonomy and on the in vehicle side, because we're still there and we still will continue to be there. But we're also offering up what I would call a DevSecOps uh, solution, a DevOps platform, which will enable the developer experience, right, in terms of the efficiency gains that you can get from having this type of cloud native infrastructure environment that helps accelerate the software development, streamlines the deployment of the software across a fleet of vehicles. So now you have a way to deploy your software and manage it through one single plane of glass. And then you can also work with some of our capabilities inside of that framework to capture insights and data so that you can take that information and continue to add value to the vehicle dynamically while it's on the road and in the marketplace. So there's a lot of activity from Wind River in this digital space. And as we work with companies to help them modernize, we are definitely supporting them in vehicle and then also with vehicle to cloud 
out from a, a developer tools perspective. So really helping them in terms of the tooling activity, because honestly, when you think about EV or any of these vehicles, the pathway to getting to that digital future and that electrified future you got to do it with some type of tooling, some type of development tooling that will support these new architectures that are connected and that are cloud native in nature. When you start thinking about virtualization and, and Kubernetes and containers and all these other buzzwords that you hear as people are talking about how they're looking at their architectures and trying to get it more modern and ready to be software defined. I want to push you to ask Brandy about your edge computing uh, thoughts, because what Brandy is alluding to without explicitly saying it is actually the fact that infotainment and safety functionality are beginning to merge in the car, which itself presents a unique software development challenge, I should think. And some of that is around edge computing, you know, interpreting data, you know, in the vehicle uh, in real time to fulfill, you know, certain requirements or applications or value propositions. You know, how are you seeing that proposition unfold where you know, safety systems are really getting blended right into the infotainment stack at this point, seems to me, but maybe I'm getting it wrong. No, great question. Brandy, also help us understand just in layman's term, what, what it means by edge computing. Well, edge computing, right, in, in layman's term is basically compute at the, the sensor, the actuators, really taking that processing power closer to where it's being, where the data is being generated, right? So being able to process that data information in a way that's useful and insightful so that you can get to what Roger was saying, those alerts and, and different safety functionality and features pulled into the in-vehicle experience for the consumer to create an overall safer profile for the consumer, right? In terms of where they're driving and how they're driving and what they may encounter with their vehicle in the world around it. I have a really specific example because I was just at the in-cabin sensing event in Berlin and European five-star safety requirements are calling for, you know, Euro NCAP is calling for driver monitoring systems and occupant monitoring systems, which at the end of the day, oh yeah, we have to do a DMS. Wait a minute, my car is going to watch me when I'm driving? And so then you have questions of facial recognition, emotion detection. I gave some opening remarks at the event to say that there are many companies working on emotion detection, but nobody knows what to do with this information, <laughs> with the possible exception of GM, which spoke about trying to you know, reduce stress, et cetera. But correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that's an example of edge computing. And I know Wind River and Aptiv are very active in the European market. So I suspect this is uh, top of your agenda at the moment. It's definitely top of our agenda. And, and to your point, Roger, data is a fundamental element for any industry player, right? In terms of how we look at the business models and I would say 
monetization services that we can offer up and to make the vehicle safer. But it's, it's definitely top of mind. And part of that cloud native environment that I was speaking of, that DevOps platform, that part of that capability set includes what we call a digital feedback loop where it pulls in data insights from the vehicle and from its surrounding area so that we can facilitate different experiences like the one you described, Roger. In earlier Talking the Drive episodes, we had talked about how audio streaming will emerge as a dominant media platform in the car, primarily because it's what people want. We also now are seeing the evolution of AI with chat GPT and other things happening. Mm -hmm. How do you see those things coming into the car and how do you see it really enhancing the software defined car? In terms of, I would say, this whole streaming activity and where it's going, I think the possibilities are number one, endless, but I think it goes back to, to kind of that 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 data profile and getting the right insights around your customer and what their enjoyment profile looks like. But I think going forward, when we think about auto data streaming activity, whether it's it's video, it's really kind of how can we do a couple of things? How can we entertain the consumer inside the vehicle, right? In terms of, especially when you start to go to a, an autonomous driving activity, now they'll have an opportunity to really experience entertainment from a different perspective. And we saw that through like some of the CES demos this year and last year and how companies are starting to integrate like 8K video TV screens into the vehicle and facilitate this kind of 4D experience in order to enable the customer to have just this more immersive consumer experience with their entertainment activity, whether that's streaming or gaming, whatever the case may be, if you're in the front or in the back, they want to be able to have this whole immersive experience with the consumer as they continue to interact with the vehicle and to get more out of their vehicle than just driving from point A to point B. The vehicle really is now a digital uh, mobility device. And so it's it's another, I would say, device in their arsenal of devices that they use to inform themselves and entertain themselves inside of the vehicle. So when I look at the Mercedes-Benz investor presentation where they had gaming in the car and video conferencing and streaming video and streaming audio and social media, TikTok, okay, I have a feeling that this has an impact on the, the software development piece of the puzzle. And as you say, As they stated in that event, uh, and I'm sure you read about it if you didn't see it, they claim that they already have derived a a billion dollars in revenue from sort of connected services in the car. So they are, air quotes, monetizing already, or so they say. How does uh, Wind River participate in all of that content management and and enablement? It's uh, pretty complex, it seems to me. It is complex, but we participate in two arenas, right? We participate, to your point, about going back to the edge compute. So really looking at what I would call the the, the technology stack and looking at the middleware 
right? So our runtimes, our operating systems, which include our real-time operating system, which you can run, you know, safety critical apps on. And then you have our One River Linux offering, which is a general purpose app. So you can run things like um, location services and and things like that on top of those non-safety critical general purpose operating system like a Wind River Linux. And then you have what we call our Elix virtual platform, which is effectively our type one hypervisor so that you can effectively have multiple OSs running on a single SOC so that you can facilitate different applications at the same time independently so that they're isolated from one another. So there's no interference or cross interference across the applications or their ability to run from an efficiency in in an effective perspective so that everything is isolated on that hypervisor. And then it's also able to run multiple applications independent of one another without the interference. So the video conference goes down, the movie freezes, it's not interrupting the operation of the vehicle. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Roger, you talked about the business model and revenue generating and all the money that everybody's going to make from data. And like you, I kind of put the air quotes around it right now because I don't quite understand how and where that revenue is being generated from. The one big opportunity, and I, and I know it's it's somewhat uh, controversial, but is is how how do you get really targeted marketing and advertising into the car? I mean, radio is of course the way local merchants used to reach people while they're driving. It seems like with streaming and with the ability to pinpoint messaging and programming to drivers, there would be a huge opportunity for for marketers and advertisers. But we're not really seeing any of that. Is it going to happen? I know the marketers would love to be able to reach people while they're driving. I think there's a proposition that could work in that manner if you think along the lines of the full self-driving proposition. It's not clear what that looks like. Another one, I will say one other provocative idea is uh, there's an Israeli startup, which is following in the path of a German startup that was called Crossbar. This Israeli startup's called Only, O-W-N-L-I. And their stated objective is to pay the customer a share of the value of their data. You agree to share your data, you get kind of a cut of the action that they would be deriving from having access to your data. So for example, you know, we're watching as Weijo slowly spins down to its demise, but they had that GM data. And everyone I've spoken to says they loved that GM data. That GM data was fantastic. Maybe Weijo wasn't charging enough for that data, but the data, according to one and all, has and had value for a variety of constituencies. So the value is there. I don't know if it's McKinsey's $750 billion, but it does have value. And the argument is maybe the customer should benefit from some of that value proposition. I was just going to jump in and just add to what Rogers described, right? Because I think the key here is the the crowdsourcing, which will enable the data collection, right? From all the different users and how you distribute that data to business customers 
And to your point, Roger, around insurance and retail platforms and all these different constituents that could potentially benefit from the data that's being generated inside of the vehicle around the infotainment and how they're using their audio and what they're streaming to, you know, what's being acquired from the the vehicle itself. And so as we think about all these different stakeholders and how they're going to use the develop, uh, use the data, excuse me, to innovate features, but also personalize the design for the consumer, not only for new product, but also to verify and validate different, I would say, product development efforts that's going on across the the vehicle domains. And one interesting point I just want to highlight, because I am part of Covisan, which is the Connected Vehicle System Alliance. They basically are a global technology alliance around connected systems and As you think about that particular alliance, there's a number of different working groups, one of which is in-vehicle payment. And I want to highlight that because there's a couple of companies, one in particular that comes to mind, which is Mavi, and they've built a retail platform that you can put in the vehicle and it facilitates kind of what I would call point of interest, right? So along your way. So if you are hungry, you can basically use that platform and instead of having to download individual apps for various businesses, it curates it based off of whatever your desire is in that moment. It will curate the set of retail businesses that can address that particular need along your journey as opposed to an app that may have restaurants that may be out of your way. There was a really interesting idea that came out of a conversation I had around EV charging. And if you think about a real need that needs to be solved is helping with the range anxiety around EVs. And the interesting thing about it is, so if you take that Mavi payment along your way, that's one way to help the consumer find an EV charge point you know, that's open, that they can make a reservation for so that along the way, maybe it's convenient and uh, they can pull in and get in and out in 40 minutes <laughs> instead of having to wait an hour or so just to get a charge point. But the flip side is, I think, even more interesting is to think of it more like an Airbnb where the charge point operators can basically know their inventory and can send out messaging and marketing to people who are along the route or who are likely to be coming along their station. And now you can you can almost see a going back to this, you know, crowdsourcing, you know, social kind of uh, experience, you could see the charging stations being able to offer discounts and, enti- and and enticements to people as they're likely to pass by. And so I think there needs to be a real problem to solve. And maybe EV charging is the poster child for that. And then, you know, solve it both from the driver along the route, but also from the merchant back into the driver. No, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of data, not just around the technology of charging, but the data that is generated, like in terms of where the charging unit is located and facilitating that type of data. I think there's a lot to be said and done in that space to help support the comfort and convenience and the adoption for for EVs in that space, especially when you start talking about infrastructure and trying to identify pathways for, for consumers to be more engaged or at least not as um, fretful about, you know, having an EV, an all-electric vehicle. 
I wanted to ask one last question uh, to Brandy. Tell us about your automotive journey. How did you discover the automotive industry and what's it been like over the last few years as you've established your leadership role? Originally, because I am from Michigan, I was always around the automotive industry. So I was actually looking to do something outside of the industry just because I have family members and and friends that were in that space. And so I wanted to do something different. However, automotive was definitely looking for me. And so that is definitely where I got my start. And, and honestly, I wouldn't have changed my path and what I've done to date any other way. It truly was my building block. And I was able to be engaged and involved in many different uh, capacities across various companies. I've had the unique opportunity to work for Ford, GM, and uh, FCA. It's now Stellantis. And in various capacities from product and strategy to engineering to doing fuel economy analysis and identifying pathways where you could apply electrified solutions across the portfolio and still make it compelling and interesting for the consumer to purchase it. So I've had the opportunity to walk work across multiple functional areas, but also work with these functional areas as well from marketing, finance, product, product planning to, to different arenas. And I think that that experience in that plethora of skills that I gained through those experience helped position me to come into this space that I'm in now with Wind River, where I am able to take that knowledge, that insight, that understanding and apply it through ecosystem development, right? So really driving business through some of the the, the technical alliances that we are actively working with to build these compelling solutions that create the value for our consumers. So I will say this unique journey, it hasn't been a a straight line. Let's put it that way. It's been... <laughs> It's been one of those jungle gym type of activities. And and I think that's the beauty about where we are today in the world is that our career paths are not always a ladder, but sometimes it's a lattice. And so and so I think as you embrace uh, new and different experiences, it helps opens your eyes to different possibilities and how you can apply various approaches in different scenarios. So I think Brandy's being a little too polite here, so I want to push the envelope a bit. I mean, we all <laughs> talk a good game about diversity. But I have to believe there have been some moments where you were in the room, maybe not necessarily the only woman in the room, but you had a perspective that you realized that nobody else in the room had. And it may have made a rather significant difference because you were there with this unique perspective on something that could have been quite simple about a behavioral issue that other people in the room, you know, had never even thought of, you know, and those behavioral issues can be about buying the product, using the product, you know, the car. Do you have or trade-offs, like, cost cost trade-offs? Yep. Cost trade-offs. Do you have an example you can share? Oh gosh. Are you going to be too polite? <laughs> no, I'm sure <laughs> there's a multiple examples that I could share where there's been um 
healthy tension in the room to help drive to that next level of, let's call it progress, right? In in terms of really getting to the business goal of achieving whatever, whatever we were setting out to do. And so I can remember a couple of different times. I have an example, and I won't name which company I was at, where I was over a certain set of technology and there was, I would say, a bit of consternation around how and when this technology should be applied. But at the same time, we also, uh, a lot of times it was driven by a regulatory requirement that made us have to play nice across different functional groups in order to make sure that we were adhering to that policy, that regulatory requirement. And so um, a lot of times there was I'd say discussions back and forth to identify pass forward in order to to address that particular rollout plan around which product should go first, second, third. And sometimes you have to go back to the drawing board to really hone in on, okay, why is this important? What's the impact? And how can how can this create value for for the customer? But then also, and you always once you take it back to the customer, that's really the impetus of the argument right there is the customer. You got to remain customer focused, but at the same time, you do also have to manage you know the cost of the business and, and drive that forward. But there's been I say many conversations where. At the end of the day, we know what the goal is. And regardless of if you don't like my plan or not, let's figure out a way to collaborate and be professional to drive towards the end goal. And that may mean I might have to relax my plan and ideas and that person may have to relax their plans and ideas or we have to somehow meet in the middle. And a lot of times through tension, sometimes you might not get 100 percent of what you want, but you might get. 70. And if you get that 70, that could be the amount you need to get over that hurdle line. So Roger, to your point, yeah, I have been the only woman in a lot of scenarios and I have been the, I would say, the diverse point of view in the room from a perspective of maybe not everybody being aligned with my approach, but at the same time, it made sense. And and you have to sometimes go behind the scenes and build allies to help get something forward. And so that's just part of the process and part of, I think, the learning experience that you go through within corporate America or anywhere you are at, right? It build those allies that way. When you're in the room, you're not there by yourself. You're actually in a community that can help, you know, drive a decision forward. Great insights, Brandy. Thank you. And thank you for the questions, Roger. Thank you, Brandy and Roger, for being on the show. Our guests on Talking the Drive have been Brandy Goolsby of Wind River and Roger Langto of Tech Insights. I'm John McLeod, and I welcome your thoughts. Drop me a line at drive, D-R-I-V-E, at rivet360.com. Talking the Drive is produced by Rivet360, a technology and production company that's excited about what's next for people, places, and things. 